welcome to episode number 64 of the Faster Than the World podcast. I'm Ryan, your host. And here, shuffling behind me, I have a very special guest. That's what stands still? Yeah. Can I just do the... You just say say something. Say what? Hey, what's up? You're listening. This is George Camacho from the the Dagger Tooth podcast, now canceled, (laughs) due to lack of funding and responsibility. Today, you're in for a very special episode. Uh, Ryan has interviewed one of my favorite artists, Liz Prince. Uh, notable for her depiction of his wedding anniversary. My wedding, wedding anniversary. Wedding, not the, well, she should do another one. Yeah, it's coming it, up. What's a what's the uh, what, what's a good like other pop punk emo cover that she's done? That, no, no, no. That we could like that we could take inspiration from. Oh, that's a great question. Maybe that that maybe that's a future podcast. I episode. love the way that she does people. Yeah, you know, it's really it's got like that Charlie Brown vibe, where it's just really innocent and fun and. You know, it's cool. Um, another good pop punk album. I think Sticks and Stones would be cool. I think that's like a good two year yeah. <laughs> anniversary. That's a that's a pretty good image of what being married is like. Yeah, people beating each other up kind yeah, of. That's a good one. Yeah. I'll uh I'm gonna Liz, I'm gonna hit you up on that one. But that's good. uh yes, as George mentioned, my <laughs> my interview today is with uh, Liz Prince, a creator of many great books such as Tomboy um, be alone, uh, alone forever. She did some reviver stuff, right? She did like a picture for them, I think. She's done all kinds of stuff. Yeah, she's all over the place yeah. in the uh, DIY, yeah, you know, punk spectrum, which is cool. But most recently, she has a series out now on uh, at, on Boom Studios called Cody and the Creepies that she does that she writes, and the art is by Nation of Amanda, who is part of Silver Sprocket and has done like a kajillion things as well. Uh, you should check it out. The new issue, uh, issue number two of Cody and the Creepies, comes out tomorrow at your finer comic book stores. So check out this interview, go buy Cody and the Creepies, and then go get other cool stuff that loses them. And I will check you guys out. Okay. <laughs> the bathroom? At least it's empty. You can do whatever you want in there when it's empty. It's true. I like mean, record a podcast. You know, what's funny is that this wouldn't be the first time that I recorded a podcast in a bathroom, so... <laughs> wow. Which one is that? I want to listen to it. Uh, it's an episode so, with, with a writer named Rachel Bell. <laughs> did someone come in while you were recording it? No, because it was at home. I just locked the door. <laughs> oh, okay. So I, I, That's so, not as interesting as a public bathroom. No, but like we used to have an old house where I had my own office, and then we moved recently, which I think I told you... And mm-hmm. I don't have an office anymore, so yeah, it was it was very much my uh, Christmas story Ralphie and Secret Decoder ring moment in my bathroom. <laughs> well, I'm not in a bathroom, so I guess we can just rule out that everyone that's talking on this podcast right now is not in a bathroom at the moment. All right, sweet. Uh, so let's get started. Yay! Do it. Uh, welcome to the Faster Than the World podcast. I'm here with my special guest, Liz Prince. How are you today? Uh, you know, today's not my best day, but I'm pulling through. Yeah, that's what I that's what I enjoy about you, Liz, is that you're you're transparent, you're honest. You're like, yo, not a great day, or it's a fabulous day. Not loving it. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, I'm glad that we were able to finally schedule a time to talk. We've been trying to, what, have me come on this podcast for, like, a year? Yeah, something something crazy like that. But it's <laughs> it's cool. You know what? Better, better now than never, as they say. That's right. 
I'm older and wiser, so I think the listeners probably won out on this agreement. Yeah. So my first question for you is, what's your inspiration? No, I'm just joking. I was going to launch with the very... Uh, You're my inspiration. Oh, as long as I don't know. <laughs> Um, so for, for, for people who aren't cool comic nerds, um, you know, you're, you're, you're an illustrator and writer, uh, of, of such famed comics as, uh, uh, Alone Forever and, uh, Tomboy, which are, uh, very big reads in my home, uh, especially since I have a, a teenage daughter, um, uh, that's, that's fun that you let her read Alone Forever. Yes. It's, uh, yeah, she doesn't, I don't think she quite understands the nuances of, of adult dating, but, you know, she gets a, she gets a kick out of it, nonetheless. Good, I'm glad that I'm reaching, I'm reaching a younger generation yeah. to grow up and be jaded about their dated ex- dating experiences. Oh, you know, if it wasn't for me, if, if it wasn't going to come from you, it was going to come from me or her mom, so, so you know. <laughs> So what was, um, I hate asking these kinds of questions, but what was sort of like your introduction to comic books or comic art, I should say? Um, well, I've always been somebody who wanted to do something having to do with cartoons. At first I thought I wanted to be an animator. Um, and so my introduction to comics really came from uh, comics that were based off of cartoons like the Disney comics that were coming out, uh, Donald Duck comics, things like that. Uh, so it's kind of a, an unambitious introduction to comics, but from there I discovered Jeff Smith's Bone and I started looking into more uh, smaller press and self-published kind of stuff, which is how I found Autobio Comics. Um, which is what I mostly do today is write about my own stupid life and my cats. Yeah. But that's, what's kind of great about, and I kind of feel like you've come at a time when, you know, uh, it's not that zines and self-published work is, are dying out, but you know, we're seeing a lot more accessibility to that because of the internet. So I find that, you know, you have, you know, a lot of people who are like reading your stuff whether it was through like live journal or uh, if you can make it um, where they're like oh here's this person who's writing about you know something similar to my life as you know some some dopey punk kid uh, and all the weird you know all, all the weird situations that I go through as well you know what someone brought up uh, in an in interview when I was doing press stuff for Tomboy when it came out is that I was one of the first people who was really like posting comics online in a regular way when I was using my live journal for that back in like 2001 or whatever and that really freaked me out (laughs) (laughs) That that it wasn't like a wider thing or no just that I hadn't thought about that or how long of a history I've had with publishing comics online yeah um and I think that part of that comes from that when web comics really started becoming a thing in like 2004 2005-ish it kind of had this stigma of being like less than 
print work and I always draw everything intending for it to be printed, uh, you know, whether I make, I self-publish it or whether someone else publishes it. So I think I always kind of uh, shunned the, the idea of being a web comics creator. Um, so then for someone to like remind me that it's actually been a way that I've been getting my work out there for a lot longer than web comics have even really been that prominent was something that I was like, ah, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of that, that generational like stigma where you have, you know, like, you know, if you want to compare it to something, there are like bands who got known from MySpace. And I think that they kind of like had a lot of the same, a lot of the same detractors where they were like, oh, they're associated with just being known because they're on MySpace. But, you know, they probably wrote, like, some decent songs, I guess. Well, <laughs> since you're someone who has a teenage daughter, I'm someone who has a teenage niece, and it's just really interesting to hear who, uh, like, teenagers consider celebrities these days. And yeah. it's, like, people who have, like, vines, vine accounts, and, like, people who post, like, memes and stuff. Uh, just like ways that I never would have thought of like ascribing content to a person if that makes any sense it, 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 so it does. It's, it's like when you can um, when you can be known as a YouTube celebrity yeah <laughs> you know like and then it's like a real thing like companies are paying you to like mention you know like Burger King's like yeah mention our new you know chicken fries or whatever and we'll pay you $30,000 and they're like on it <laughs> <laughs> no and and, and and that's a good point it's really yeah it's it's, it's bizarre like because when I think of YouTube stuff I think oh and I can you know watch like stupid videos of cats or whatever like it's not like there's like an America's Funniest Home Video celebrity when we were like that age you know I mean besides Bob Saget Bob Saget is a king among men, a transcendent celebrity, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. I guess. His stand-up is awful. Oh, yeah. Awful! <laughs> so, uh, you have a new book that everybody in my house loves, Cody and the Creepies, with, um, with, that you've done with Nation of Amanda. Um, what, was, uh, what was that like? I guess... It, it, I, I, when I read it, it was like half Scooby-Doo mystery and like half like something else. Like it was just really, it was, it was, it was bizarre, but in like the best way possible. You know, like I would say like, like The Legend of Billie Jean to me is like a bizarre movie, but in the best way possible. And I would liken, you know, like how I feel about that movie is how I felt about this comic book. Um, oh, that's a very, that's a very high compliment because that is a great movie not enough people have seen the legend of billy jean so uh probably correlates and also like uh audience wise as well um yeah i mean the idea behind cody and the creepies was that it is supposed to kind of have like a josie and the pussycats kind of uh not really vibe, but it's about a touring band made up of te triplet teenage sisters. And I wanted to tell 
stories that were very grounded in reality, but I wanted it to have something fun and outlandish about it. So that's where the supernatural elements kind of come from. Um, and I know that there's a lot of things these days that combine supernatural kinds of things with just like telling these everyday stories. Um, so I'm hoping that it kind of can stand out from the uh, crowd of that sort of genre just in being that it is about a very like specific subset of the punk genre that really doesn't get highlighted in mainstream media or you know especially in things like comic books yeah which is actually kind of an interesting uh complaint that a lot of people uh that i've seen echoed online by a lot of people who've read this book because it's very heavily marketed as a punk comic book you know i think the tagline that uh boombox is using for it is punk's not dead but cory but cody is yeah um and I think that people were, like, really expecting it to have that, like, yeah, man, green mohawks and leather jackets. And everyone's like, F the man. <laughs> Screw the establishment. We're anarchists. But that's not the, like, part of punk that I've ever been connected to or involved in. Yeah. Uh, and it's just kind of funny when... I, I mean, I've always fought against that idea that there's, like, only one way to be a comic book artist, or there's only one way to be a feminist, or there's only one way to be a punk, and it just kind of seems like when people have complaints like, this book wasn't punk enough, I feel like that's, like, exactly what I'm kind of fighting against, or that's why I'm writing a book like this, and so it's, like, gratifying and annoying at the same time. Yeah. Well, what I like, what I totally hit, what hit me is that I, so I play in a queer band, a queer punk band, and um, the more, like, some of our, our, our femme members, like, the way that they're approached is sort of like how the creepies are approached uh-huh. um, in, in some of the scenarios in that first issue. And I was just like, yo, like, that's, that's, that's some real shit, you know, like you know, you're only getting on this show because you have a girl, or, like, whatever, you know, like, whatever the reason may be, like, you know, there's a lot of different yeah. ways that you can, like, connect the dots there. Um, and I think that that's something that is is missed a lot. So you're, you're totally on point where, you know, it's not just, it's not just, like, the fact that it's not how people perceive punk to be, but also, like, sort of the gender politics that come along with it. And punk is this really interesting genre because I think it's really seen from the outside as being like very like anti-establishment and people have like very you know like uh, how am I trying to describe this in a way that sounds not like progressive views but you know punks are supposed to be kind of political or at least traditionally, punk kind of has this, like, anti-authoritative, like, political, anarchist kind of thing. And punk kind of sees itself as being, like, above the, like, race and gender and, like, classist kind of stuff. But it actually really isn't. I mean most of the time you go to a punk show and there aren't any bands that aren't all just like white dudes, you know? Yeah. Like, um, 
and that's still a thing and it still is like pretty rare to go to a show and have like more than one band on the bill that has a female member um and there still is a lot of um I don't know if I want to call it necessarily infighting but like white male punk fans are the first people to like respond that there isn't a problem with like gender or race in punk and I don't know that they're really the right people to be making that call <laughs> because they exist in a uh, in a you know culture that was kind of created by them especially for them and I just think that there's a lot to be said for uh, opening the door a lot wider. Yeah. And, you know, there's certainly something to be said about the fact that, like, you know, I feel pretty lucky where, you know, like, in Seattle, like, we have a, a an inclusive scene, but we also have to, like, force those, you know, force the fact that, you know, like, my band can only, not only play shows, shows that are, like, for trans or uh-huh. or queer punk shows, because um, we do other stuff for outside of that. But that's like a majority of you know what we'll end up doing throughout the year. Yeah. And it you know, but you know, I would love to open for Saves a Day sometime. Yeah. We just don't. <laughs> we just but you know, we're too we're either too weird or too like whatever to get on those kinds of bills. Uh huh. But it's coming. Yeah. I think Absolutely. I think the wave of revolution is coming. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, we'll, we'll like, the uh, Lauren Jane Grace's autobiography certainly helped a lot. And, you know, like, just even just, like, like I said, like, the subtle, like, politics that you have in, in Creepies, you know, certainly, like, highlights that. You know, especially for people who go through it, like, you know, every time I'm trying to book a show or whatever. I'm like, oh, I get that. I totally do, even though I'm a dude. Yeah. I mean, I'm really hoping, uh, you know, this is just a four-issue miniseries right now, and it's a little bit unclear what the future of this book will be, whether or not there'll be more stories, uh, or whether it will continue, but one of the things that I'm very interested in doing is uh, not letting the creepies themselves off the hook for things like they are you know three white girls so I do want to address more issues of race in the punk scene and uh, you know I want to I want to tell a deeper story with this hopefully we'll get to go there do you feel like with that in mind and you know to me it's refreshing to hear a creator uh, talk about it like that but do you feel like there could be a point where people who know you primarily from Tomboy or know Nation of Amanda from just drawing, you know, cute cat dog stuff, mm-hmm. you know, just being just being pigeonholed of like, okay, you guys are going to talk about politics, you guys are going to talk about social injustices, like why don't you just talk about dating or being married or whatever it is that you do? Well, I think that I... Uh, I mean, with my book, Tomboy, I definitely had a lot of that. 
kind of gender <clears throat> and just kind of general like stereotype stuff. And that's a pretty, I mean, it's not like a super like in your face political book, uh, but I think that this, even this first arc succeeds in talking about some deeper issues, but in a way that is humorous, which I think is what I'm most well known for, is making kind of like harder to swallow topics into something that people can have a little bit of fun with, but still like understand where I'm coming from. Um, and I'm really excited for people to see the second issue. Um, I myself just got to see you know, a like digital version of the entire thing colored and lettered and I hadn't seen it with the art yet. And I've been writing an issue a month of this basically. And so it was kind of easy to like forget what the little nuances of each issue was. Um, but I think there's some really interesting things going on with issue two that I'm hoping people will pick up on as like a more as a more general theme of the story throughout. Yeah. So you have, you know, like you said, like it's, it's four issues right now, and then you hope to do more. Um, yes. What? I, I guess I don't even want to talk about the four issues that are going to come out because I feel like it's totally spoilery. Uh, I guess, and, and, and I'm really interested in the second issue, you know, as well as my kid who's like, why do I have to wait that long? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, well, I think that there's also been a lot of, uh, there's a lot of expectations around the way a story about a touring punk band will be told or play out. Um, like one of the funny things that happened at Emerald City Comic Con, um, which is where the book, like, Soft debuted, was that, um, you know, some some guy came up to the table and was kind of, like, asking me about what the book was about, and I told him, and then he pointed to Corey on the cover, who is the bassist and the lead singer, and said, like, let me guess, like, kind of, like, rolling his eyes, he was like, let me guess, that's Cody, right? And I was like, no, actually, Cody is the drummer. And he was like, oh, that's unexpected. And I was a little bit like, okay. I mean, like, I get where that comes from, because we're like, Josie and the Pussycats, Josie is the lead singer. Jam and the Holograms, Jam is the lead singer. Um, and a lot of people uh, in reviewing the first issue have really been talking about how they, like, assume that each issue of this arc is going to take place in a different city at a different show, um, which... I don't really consider this to be that much of a spoiler, but it doesn't. Um, it actually kind of just takes place over the course of like 48 hours. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just kind of interesting to, to hear that there's like this formula for this story that hasn't even been told yet, <laughs> that people are kind of like expecting it to stick to. It's not something that I'm like all that used to when I come from writing, you know, autobiographical comics. I 
that makes any sense. Well, I, I feel like in a way, like it parallels your, you know, the your autobiographical comics a little bit more, especially since uh, for anybody who who pitches in on your Patreon, I highly recommend it because you get all these awesome comics uh, for doing so. <laughs> Plug, but um, thank you. <laughs> uh, but for me, it makes a lot of sense because you know you you know for somebody who follows like what you do on a regular basis, like that that storytelling time frame, you know, is is a lot more telling of what you would normally do. Yeah. Um, the other cool thing I like about um, the, that, that first issue is that uh, Cody's uh, <laughs> supernatural friend is a person of color. Yes. And it, but isn't necessarily relegated to a sidekick, just a contempt, but a contemporary. Yes. So that's that was awesome. Thank you. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a brown dude, but, <laughs> but it's definitely <laughs> like you know, you know, it's cool to see you know representation and not like forced or anything. Like to me, to me, it makes sense, but. But yeah. Um, so yeah. There. Oh, what? It kind of cut out. I didn't uh, catch the last thing that you said. Oh, I said, uh, to, to me, it makes sense, you know? And it's not like a forced, you know, like the character isn't forced, like, oh, I'm just going to put a brown dude in here because he's brown. And I want to appeal well, to I, uh, Yeah, I hope that I'm. Uh, I'm hoping to avoid any instances of just, like, tokenizing a character's gender, sexuality, or race in this book. We'll see how successful I am. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, so far so good. And Thank you. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, I don't, again, this is just my, my, my point of view, but, like, I, I think that everything in this book seems very organic. Um, you know, and I feel like if people have anything contrary to say to that, I don't think that they're really understanding, you know, what you can get from this book, even if you don't, even if it's like an indirect thing, you know, subtle hints, you know, like that still means a lot to certain people. I definitely, thank you. I agree with that. Um, and overall, I would say that. I'm very consciously writing this book for a younger teen female audience uh, with the hope that it will interest them in music and punk and getting involved in their own punk scenes. Um, the venues that are mentioned for Pinmageddon are, with the exception of one that we created, are all real places um, in the U.S. that are all ages show spaces. Um, and there's a really fun two-page spread in the second issue that has all the previous Pinmageddon pins like labeled for where the spaces are and what they are. So... Um, I'm really excited for people to 
who have been going to punk shows to see that and get to pick out places that they've been to and that they recognize. And I'm excited about the idea that maybe some kid reading the book will be like, oh, you know, like I live in Kansas City. I could go that place really exists. I could go to a show. Um because we don't all have like cool older siblings to introduce us to punk, you know, like yeah. <laughs> some of us have to find it a different way. It's true. And I think that's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't have that, you know, I just kind of found it on accident in a lot of ways. Thanks makeout club. But <laughs> <laughs> for me, it was definitely, um, MTV, just being on in the background at a friend's house and the video for Basket Case coming on and I was like, what is this? It was like one of those things where like, you know, like in a cartoon, it would be like the internal image of like your brain just exploding. That's basically <laughs> what happened. And I've been messed up ever since. Thanks a lot, Billy Joe. Ah! <laughs> Right on. Oh, before we, we, we stop, I have to tell you, I don't know if I told you this story, but um, I saw Saves Today not too long ago, and I showed Connolly the, uh, the wedding invitation that you did for us, <laughs> and uh, he was all about it, so. Great. So somebody that, saw that. <laughs> that's awesome. So, uh, so uh, Liz, uh, where can people find you on the internet? So my main internet home base is lizprincepower.com. It has links to all my social media accounts, uh, link to my Patreon. You should definitely check that out. Um, and just a really large, comprehensive archive of comics that I've posted online for the last, I don't know, seven years? Yeah. Stuff, maybe even ten years at this point. Um, so there's lots of stuff to see and read on there. And um, I'm just really hoping that people will pick up Cody and the Creepies. The second issue will be in stores on April 19th, I believe. Yeah, so tomorrow, that is a Wednesday. <laughs> if you're just listening to this podcast, the day that I post it, pick it oh, up tomorrow. Right. <laughs> pick it up. Pick it up tomorrow. And um, yeah. I don't really have any more uh, self-congratulation or promotion to do. <laughs> uh, but you, they can pick up your new book on Silver Sprocket. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about band. your own backing band. <laughs> I, uh, you know, it's this always happens to me. I have books that come out at the same time, like both Alone Forever and Tomboy came out in the same year. And so... When Alone Forever came out, I was, like, working really hard on finishing Tomboy. Like, it had to be in, finished in March. And Alone Forever came out in conjunction with Valentine's Day 2014. So I didn't really have time to, like, give it attention or love or promote it. And now I feel like Be Your Own Backing Band is, like, kind of the same way. <laughs> came out same time as Cody and the Creepies. Both music-related, so they're kind of connected, but... Um, luckily, Be Your Own Backing Band, it's, it's only, like, kind of, like, out for people who are in the know right now. Yeah. Um, and it'll be in stores later this summer. We're thinking, like, July. Sweet. So. Yay. 
Well, uh, thanks for coming on. I totally appreciate it. Thanks for uh, sticking it out for the year that I dodged your interview requests. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs>